What is up, everybody? It is me, George G. Got another great episode of the Aligned Money Show coming your way, featuring James Bashel. He's a wealth advisor with Future You Wealth. We had an awesome conversation that started off with two truths and a lie. To wait and see if I was able to spot the lie. We talked about positive psychology. We talked about what wealth really means and what wealth for well-being really means. We talk about what makes for a good life. We talked about the research of Daniel Kahneman and a really cool adversarial collaboration that he did. And I don't want to call it debunking, but the we talked about the idea of whether or not earning $70,000 a year is really the point where earning anything above and beyond that is less additive. It actually isn't worth it. So we got pretty deep into all of that. And then also an awesome difference-making tip. Let's go. James, to get us started, give us two truths and a lie. All right. I racked my brain, my brain for these. Uh, number one. I learned to surf when I was six years old. Number two, I was nudged out of the way by a wild gorilla in Uganda. And number three, I've run every day for the last 760 days in a row. Those are really good. Those are really good. I bet you started surfing earlier than six. Wow. Uh, no, not earlier, oh. but that is my lie. You nailed it. Oh. Uh, I it's the one that I wish. If only I could change one thing in my life, I wish I had learned to surf when I was like six years old. Okay. What's that? Is it safe to surf in South Africa? It is. Uh, it's very good surfing. I mean, it's a, it's a numbers game, right? There are lots of sharks, uh, but there are also lots of people in the water. So you, you distribute your risk with the number of legs that are floating around you. Okay. All right. You've run every day for how many days? Uh, 760 or something. Yeah. Good a bit for more you. Than that. Even when it's yeah. snowing, even when you're sick, or maybe you just don't get sick? Uh, no, yeah. I, I mean, the worst day of the 760 was I was in Bali and I had food poisoning. And I was like, oh, you're like 500 days into this thing. You still need to go for a run. And I was like, okay, put on your shoes. You're going for a run. Wow. And, I mean, it's like not like a full run. Like the, the shortest runs are like a mile. But it's like put your shoes on and get outside. Average runs probably four or five miles. Uh, long runs. I ran 35 the other day. So, you know, big to small. Good for you. Life is a story of commitment. It is. Yeah. I love it. Excellent. Well, James, what is top of mind for you right now? Yeah, I've got some words bouncing around my head of late and it kind of speaks to a core philosophy of life and, and, what I do, what we do here and, and everything. And that is, it kind of irritates me. I'm going to quote my dad. Uh, but my dad uh, had this saying when we were kids, he says, you know, kids, money doesn't make you happy, but it sure does help. Hmm. And we were always kind of irritated with this because he was like this very financially conservative guy. And, and in hindsight, he nailed it because he, you know, lived a great life and retired at 58 and is now living his best. Um, but it kind of speaks to this ultimate philosophy of of my practice and, and our practice at Future Wealth, which is that of, of wealth for well-being. So how does wealth lead to a good life and where does that overlap come from? Um, and, you know, like putting your money to work to building your best life. You know, it's not about just having more money. It's about actually using it so as to create the best life you could live. 
when did you uh, accept or realize that your dad was a pretty smart guy? Yeah, journey. That's been a journey. Um, you know, like out of out of high school, every kid hasn't got a clue what they're gonna do. Yeah. And I, by a process of elimination, went into finance because I was like, well, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a lawyer. Ended up in finance. Um, did the what's the equivalent of a CPA here, but it's a chartered accountancy in in South Africa, which is like an eight year process, and you've got to do two do like an undergrad and a postgrad, and write two professional exams, and do a three year training contract. So it's like a very rigorous process. And I got to the end, and I was like, you know what, this whole money thing is is dumb. And and I packed my bags and I traveled for like fourteen months around the world. I lived in Amsterdam and I traveled Europe, and then I moved to the states. Uh, well, I flew over to New York and I did the length of the Americas by bus. And, uh, and I got to the end of that and I felt like I was a changed man. And, um, I got home to South Africa and I was like, great, you know what? I'm going to change the world. I'm going to go into the nonprofit world and I'm going to do for purpose work forever. And I quickly learned two things. One was an income really helps to live. <laughs> You know, because I was I was going into this world at a very young age and earning next to nothing. Suddenly, a lot of things that were peripheral to my sort of core direction, being my job, were falling away. Like I had no autonomy to go travel, which is something I love doing, and to explore and, and do a diverse range of fun things. So while you've got a lot of meaning in the core, you know, the money really helps enable a lot of other experiences. And the second thing I realized is that, you know, the nonprofit world is not really a, a spot for a 25-year-old who's naively trying to change it. It's a it's a it's as tough as the private sector. Um so yeah, it was probably when I was about 25 I realized that my dad, there was some truth in that. And it's been kind of a a trickle to where I am now. Um bouncing between extremes but yeah i really i feel like i've landed in a good space now of putting the two together excellent yeah while it's true that there's no solutions only trade-offs in life the notion that if i'm doing meaningful work it means i have to take a vow of poverty and then if i need to make, want to make a lot of money i have to sell my soul that's that's not it just doesn't need to be that way yeah that's such a false dichotomy um and it, it's it speaks to so many extremes. I think we as people, we love like heuristics. We love shortcuts in our brains and we love binary outcomes because it simplifies the complexity of every decision. It's like, well, either, <laughs> you know, as you've spoken about, you know, the vow of poverty or I'm going to, you know, be a bloodthirsty capitalist. Um, the middle ground is is huge and you can be on both ends um with and without purpose so you can be the the blood dirty thirsty capitalist who's actually changing the world for the good um and you can be someone who's the vow of poverty is actually not helping anyone so it's you know it's so much gray it's all gray and figuring out the balance is fundamental yeah so wealth for well-being yeah tell me a little bit more about that yeah so i mean my, you know, my background is primarily in finance, and I asked all these big questions myself, and I stumbled upon this field um, of positive psychology, and I was asking myself the big question of, you know, what are you doing with your life? Where are you going? And I, I'm a deeply strategic person, and I have big in, intention drives everything I do. I'm not someone who, who likes to take. Um, 
unwarranted risk. I'm not risk averse, but I'm definitely risk trade-off averse. So if the trade-off doesn't justify the risk, I'm not, not keen. And the world of positive psychology was fascinating. And I was just like drawn in. And if you look at psychology, you know, a quick 30 second background to that world is psychology as a study was focused very much on what we would kind of term negative psychology. So deficit-based psychology. So what is wrong with you and how can we fix it as opposed to how do we make what is you more right? You know, how do we build a good life? That was such a nice to have. And it wasn't a fundamental concern for anyone. And with the evolution of, I guess, the human race, like we've done, I love Yuval Noah Harari, right? It's an amazing, like five paragraph description of the, how how we've come so far as humanity, you know, since we were playing around in the mud in the Stone Age, and and we've got to this place of abundance now where you can live a good life. And in about two thousand, there was a guy called uh, ninety eight actually. Martin Seligman was the chairman of the American Psychological Association. Was asked the question, "What do you think of the state of psychology?" And he said, "Well, it's not very good." And they said, "Why?" And he said, "Well, we only focus on the negative. Like, what about the positive?" And that created this whole field, which for the last 25 years has been running, like sprinting, trying to figure out what is it that makes a good life. And it's, you know, it's not by any means distilled. They don't know the answer, but they know what the core comp the core components are and where you should be putting your time and energy. And there are there are tools which are amazing and, and can be used. And one of the big questions that's been asked in the field is what is the relationship between money and happiness? And, you know, Daniel Kahneman is an academic who he's a Nobel laureate and he was kind of the founder of behavioral economics and behavioral finance. And he came out, they published a paper in 2010 that basically showed the diminishing marginal returns of income post a certain point, which means basically at the time they said it was about $75,000. I think in now dollars, it's probably about 95000 They said the marginal benefit of every dollar thereafter is exceeded by the cost of getting that extra dollar. And so you, you're better off earning 75 than, than more because actually it comes with big trade-offs beyond that, which it always graded me. And, and you know, my personal experience was on both sides of that kind of point of inflection. And my experience was it, it gets better with the more you earn. And I was always kind of frustrated, but, you know, I studied the positive psychology. And, and in 2021, a guy called Matt Killingsworth came out with a study which basically said the opposite. He was like, the more money you earn, the more opportunity you have for well-being and the happier you're going to be, which creates a big conflict. You've now got a Nobel laureate who has got, you know, I'm sure you know the book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Like, he's a, he's a really famous guy, and you've got this, like, other psychologists with less bigger name, but they did a really cool thing in academia called an adversarial collaboration. So they came together and they looked through each other's data and they came to a conclusion as to who was right. And at the end of it, published this year, was Killingsworth was right. There, Although there is a tapering effect, you still do see an increase um, in well-being associated with marginal increase in, in income. And that's really cool. And it makes total sense, right? So with wealth, you get access to things you wouldn't have access to otherwise. For example, health. <laughs> you know, it's something we take so for granted. And it's a fundamental building block of life. And I, you know, I live in New York City and, and I recently tried to find a gym and I was, it, it's insane. 
what a gym costs and like just getting access to that requires you have a certain amount of disposable income. But then if you go back to the health paradigm, it's like, well, gym's really important, both from a present quality of life and a, a longevity perspective. And so, yeah, wealth just really opens up these experiences. And, and that's just a fundamental building block. Don't, you know, you can then go on to talk about you reach financial independence, you can do with your life what you want. You can literally allocate your time to those things which make you happy all day, as opposed to spending the sort of eight, 10 hours doing a job, much of which might not be your core purpose and meaning and, and positive emotion generating elements of your life. So, yeah, so that's like a long answer to your question, but it kind of gives the broad perspective of, of how we get there. That's an awesome answer. I was not aware of that. I didn't know about adversarial collaborations. Isn't that how, cool? How, 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 how very mature of people in a very yeah. mature time. It's super yeah, cool. Yeah, so cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, to digging into that, but I appreciate your synopsis of it. And that, that, that makes sense to me. You, you mentioned a minute ago that you live with a lot of intention. Mm-hmm. So was Kahneman's thought, is it just, if I'm unintentional, I'm just working harder to earn more money, that that's not going to lead to happiness versus if I'm earning more money and then making good decisions based on what's most important to me, that's how it's going to be better. Yeah, I think, I mean, Kahneman's psychological data is difficult, right? So you're you're evaluating a broad population based on a sequence of of questions you've asked. And so, you know, to look at that depth, Kahneman's work, I think would be, we're probably looking too deep um, in terms of like what it meant. But I think his point was, or his conclusion was, the marginal benefit of earning more money becomes eroded by the cost of earning it. So if you work, uh, you know, you're a banker on, on Wall Street and you're working 80 to 100 hour weeks with 10 days of paid time off a year, you know, what's the point? Right. You know, why why do that? Unless, unless you adore what you're doing, in which case, go ahead. You know, you're living your best life and you're earning a bunch of cash, which means you can probably stop whenever you want to. So once again, very gray. Um, but I, I don't think that's the majority of people. A lot of people will chase wealth at the expense of other pieces of their life, which are fundamental to their well-being. And that was the general kind of consensus. But, you know, if you look at, at happiness as measured, there are kind of two components to it. There's the affective component, which is which speaks to the balance of positive and negative emotions in your life. And so, you know, that element, you can feel extremely happy with very little. That element is not necessarily going to be increased by having more wealth. It can be. You can spend money on amazing things. Like I, I love going to Broadway shows. We went the other day and it's like well over a hundred bucks a ticket. Like that's a real privilege to be able to go. Um, that's a huge positive emotion driver, but at what cost? Um, that said, you can go for a walk on the water, you know, along the Hudson River and it's beautiful and you get huge positive emotions and that's free. So wealth, you know, you can debate either way. Negative emotions, wealth is really important because it can take away a lot of things which actually detract from your happiness. So it can make things easier. Those grudge things like a long commute to work, you know, that that's not a nice thing to have to endure every day. 
And we've seen that with the post-COVID era of so many people working from home because the, the commute was detracting from their well-being. Well, with more income, you can live closer to work, which allows you to have a shorter commute. You know, so there's that affective portion. You can see how wealth can really play into it. But there's an intention piece there, which is really important. What are you using? What are you putting your money towards? You know, buying stuff doesn't increase either positive emotions or reduce negative emotions. So that's the one portion is the affective portion. The other portion of happiness really speaks to kind of life satisfaction. And that's a much broader picture. And it's asking the question, how satisfied are you with your life, you know, over the past months? And it's a, it's, it's, it transcends your, your day-to-day emotions. A good example here is, is a lot of parents with young kids, their positive emotions are are probably improved, but their negative emotions are wild, right? You sleep deprived, you've got like angry noises in your ears all the time with a child crying. Like it's not a great, you know, the trade-off there doesn't look great, but the satisfaction with life piece is huge because people find immense satisfaction from having children. So it's like, you can see that kind of difference in the way of measuring happiness. And the satisfaction with life is what Killingsworth found goes up substantially with wealth. So and and we can we can delve into theories as to why we think that's the case. I'm sure he's going to publish a lot more. He's got incredible amounts of data and he's probably working through it. But you know, people got wealth through doing something and they probably did something that was meaningful. That's why they got so much wealth, you know, and so there is it's an interesting trade-off. And yeah, so to go back to Kahneman, I, I think his data was quite surface level and it was quite, you know, there was, I think it was oversimplifying the point, which is why Killingsworth's work has been kind of the, I think it's the future of the perspective on wealth and well-being. Yeah. It sounds like it. I love it. Well, James, we're ready for that difference making tip. What do you have for us? Yeah. uh, Okay. So, we workshop this amongst the three of us in the office and I got nice. three answers. They're very short. The first was Lauren said, don't eat yellow snow, which as a South African, I have no idea what that means. Um, and my one was have a cold shower every day. And this is something that speaks to the world of longevity and, and Andrew Huberman's done a lot of work on this, which is Cold showers have an incredible benefit, but I found waking up first thing in the morning and enduring a minute of a cold shower makes your whole day better. So one bad minute for every other minute, which is good. Um, so I put that out there. Most people won't listen to that. But I thought Ryan's was the best. And his was, as we go into this new year and we start setting intentions for the new year and goals for the new year, define your constraints and non-negotiables before your nice-to-haves. Because if you can get your constraints and live within those and you can live your non-negotiables every day, you open up a lot of opportunity for those nice-to-haves to happen. And an example of that goes back to my running. You know, we spoke about I've run for 760-odd days. You know, that's a non-negotiable for me. I run every single day of my life. And why do I run every single day of my life? Because it's easier to run every day than it is to run some days. It's non-negotiable and every day it makes my life better. And I think that that is, you know, a daily habit that can make a huge difference to people's lives to find those constraints and non-negotiables and hold fast to those as we go into this new year. 
why I think that all of those are great. They definitely get it. Come on. <laughs> all right. So Lauren said, don't eat yellow snow. I, I think that, the, you know, growing up in Duluth, Minnesota, when there's plenty of snow, we we, we learned early on, you don't want to put the yellow yeah. stuff in, yes. in, in your mouth. So the cold shower, I think that that's awesome. Uh, that is, uh, that is an acquired taste for sure, but, uh, <laughs> I've certainly found that the more you do it, the, the easier it is and, yes. and finding what those non-negotiables are and doing them. What was it that you said about running? You run every day because it's easier to do that than running some days. Yes. And yeah. That's, 100%. that's the truth. I love yeah. it. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? Yeah, so uh, where our website is futureyouwealth.com. So you can plug in there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, James Bashel, easy to find. Um, and those are probably the two best. Excellent. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, check out everything a little bit, dig a little deeper into what James has been talking about at futureyouwealth.com. Um, I so much enjoyed your perspective and Ryan's perspective when we talked a couple of years ago, and I'm sure that I would enjoy Lauren's perspective as well. So go to futureyouwealth.com and dig into everything that we've been talking about and get in touch. Thanks again, James. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. And finally, friendly reminder, there's never going to be anybody more interested in your financial success than you are. So act accordingly. <laughs>